Welcome everyone to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 160 and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today we have an extraordinary show, but a hard one to listen to. We're going to be talking to Jason Reed, whose son committed suicide. Whether you've experienced profound depression, you've lived with a child with profound depression, or have had a child who has committed suicide, this is a really important show to listen to. Even if you haven't had a child with depression, please listen to the show because this is very eye-opening for every parent. We've seen so much teen depression go through the roof, particularly since COVID and the isolation that COVID brought on all kids and all of us. This is a really important show. Jason Reed is a father whose son committed suicide at the young age of 14. His journey brought him together with young suicide survivors, prevention experts, and parents trying to understand the 70% increase in adolescent suicide. Closer to home with his family fractured, Jason examined his son's technology use and found what no parent wants to find. Looking to find the warning signs that were missed, he instead finds ways to reverse the isolation and disconnectedness that's killing our youth today. You can listen to Jason's TED Talks or go and watch his film, Tell My Story, which premiered at the prestigious Santa Barbara International Film Festival in January of 2020. Well, Jason, I've been so looking forward to talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on Parenting Great Kids. Thanks, Doctor. It's an honor to be here. You have experienced quite a trauma in your life. Uh, Your 14-year-old son uh, took his life three and a half years ago. Can you talk to us about the week before he died, what was going on in your home? Yeah, I think think it's important to say that this is, you know, I don't think anybody ever expects this. I guess some people do, right? I did not. I did not see signs of Ryan. The week before he passed away, he had been, um, it was March Madness. And he was watching March Madness with my wife because that's what they did. And he's bouncing up and down as the teams are winning. And Kim says to him, Ryan, you always have to be here. Watch this way. And he said, I'll always be here with you. Him and I were planning our trip. I take the kids on individual vacations, and we were planning our trip to Washington. And he wanted to go to Dubai, which is a stretch, but he wanted to go the following year. And we were literally having conversations with that. And then Kim and I went on vacation um, for her birthday the following week. And we're sitting there, and we're talking about how great our lives were. Mm. We were getting to that point where the kids are all getting older. Ryan's going to head to high school. The other ones are all graduating, doing their thing. And wow, we made it this far. Mm-hmm. And what did we want to do with the rest of our lives after we got Ryan through high school? Mm-hmm. We didn't see the signs. Mm-hmm. And that night, he texted all of us individually, pre-written texts, and said goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then he took his life. And we were in Mexico. You know, so many times I think parents who have experienced a child who's committed suicide say the exact same thing. If anything, they'll say, you know, my son or daughter was very happy. Life was going well. We, we just can't understand. And so as you look 
back over that time, I'm sure, you know, hindsight's 2020, but if you look back over that week or you look back over the month before or the year before, are there little clues that you could pick up on or, or was maybe there was nothing? You know, it's easiest to say that there was nothing, right? I, the, he didn't show me anything. But I live in a world of business and extreme ownership, and that's not right. As I've spent time looking at this, there were signs. I just didn't know what the signs mm. were, right? I, I, I'm not a guy who gets depressed, so I don't understand depression. Mm. I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't talk to my kids about their mental health because I didn't think I needed to. Right. Because all that stuff happens to somebody else. It doesn't happen to people mm. like me. It happens to people who have kids who have drug issues or maybe the parents have drug issues or alcohol issues and there's broken homes and those kids are sad and those kids get depressed. Kids living with you know, our life, why would they ever be depressed? I didn't think about it. But kids who live in perfect lives get depressed. And Ryan did his best to hide it. He wrote in a note afterwards that, you know, he, when we got afterwards, obviously, but that he was... He would leave his room and be a different person. Oh. But he was sad and he was hurt and he was hurting and he was in pain and he wasn't sharing it. Now, what were the signs? Yeah, he was spending more time in his room. He was more grumpy than he used to be. I didn't dig into those things. I assumed the mistake that most people make is he's just another grumpy teenager. Mm -hmm. I had three others. So I didn't think about it. I should have done I should have done things differently. I wish I did things differently. I think a lot of times as physicians and a culture, we tend to look at teenagers between say 13 and 18 and go, "Oh, you know, they're not humans anymore. They they do weird things. They act weird, you know. They do hide in their rooms and play video games for hours and hours." And I think that we're taught to expect that what really is abnormal is normal. And because it's, it's not normal, even for a kid who loves video games, say, to, to hide out in their room for so long and disconnect from their family. And, but, but that's hard for parents to see. Did you see an increasing amount of time that he was withdrawing from you? Yeah, as I look back now, sure there was. You know, there was, a, hey, I'm going to go do this. You want to come? What do you mean? Nah, I want to come. I'm going to stay here, right? There were those things. I didn't recognize. I didn't do it. I didn't have the conversations. What my, my message to parents now is, you know, I think we can end teen suicide by the year 2030. Mm. It's my big set out there. Why did I do that? Well, not because I'm actually dumb and think that we can actually end all of it, but because right now all we want to do is raise, raise awareness about it, and everybody's aware. That goal has been accomplished. Thank you. We need to do something to change it, change the trajectory of it. When I grew up, I'm 54 years of age. It, it was not as rampant as it is now. It just wasn't. If we can just bring it back to there, and how do we do it? That's the question, right? How, how do we do that? Well, my message is we have to own our kids' mental health like we own their physical health. And I didn't do that. You know, I think you're right on. My question is, you were, and I were talking about this before we started, that there has been a dramatic increase, particularly since COVID, but even in the past 10 years, in the um, 
prevalence of teen depression and teen anxiety. I remember as a kid, I don't remember hearing the word depression and anxiety. I don't remember anybody talking about it. I don't ever remember hearing of any kid who committed suicide. So clearly there's something different going on. Um, there's a rise in depression, a rise in anxiety, and of course, a rise in suicide because suicidal kids are depressed kids. Talk to us a little bit about that and talk to us about the rise of depression and anxiety in kids. So here's what I've learned, and I didn't know it before. First of all, let's stop talking about suicide because that makes people uncomfortable. It's okay. They, they can be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, but I want them to pay attention. Right. Because you're right. Maybe your kid's not going to likely your kid's not going to have that problem. But here's what you have to understand. The stats are the real stats, depending on where you want to listen to. And I was talking to a guy in India today who's got the same stats. Mm. It's across, across the globe. Thirty percent of kids are experiencing depression episodes, serious depression episodes in the last year. And 40 percent of kids have major anxiety issues. So there's a three in 10 chance or a four in 10 chance that your kid has got an issue with depression or anxiety to some degree or another. And 85% of those cases are going untreated, undiagnosed and untreated. So your kids possibly are living in sadness, not knowing what to do, and we're not helping them. So if your kid had diabetes, what would you do? You get it, take him to a doctor, you get him fixed, you get him on medication, you take care of them. You would go, be relentless. Ryan had Crohn's disease. We were, my wife was, relentless to get him the best treatment in the country. Mm -hmm. Had I thought about seeing if he was depressed, I would have hopefully done the same thing. You would have, but you don't recognize depression. And I struggle with that too, because with parents in my office, kids and parents, I can see the depression much more quickly than a parent can because they're living with the kid. They're, they're, and, and also, kids want to hide it from their parents. A, they don't want their parents to feel guilty. They don't want to bring them down. And I think that depression talks to you. And depression says to the teen kid, life is horrible. You're never going to get out of this. So why talk about it? And also, I think in addition to that, we have come to accept so little from teens that teenagers are going to act so aberrant that we don't recognize illness because we're passing it off as normal teen behavior. So looking back, what signs of depression did you see in Ryan? So it was all the classic signs were probably there. Withdrawn in his room, not paying as much attention, on his phone a lot, yelling and snapping at people. He changed. But because I'm with him all the time and because I thought he was just a normal kid, I didn't bother to ask the question. Right. But I want to go back to what you said about how depression talks to you. Mm -hmm. Here's a really important thing that I've learned, unfortunately I've learned, is that, you know, I'm in Southern California right now. And it is blue skies because it's always blue skies in Southern California. Right? It's not a cloud in the sky. I could be sitting here with someone who's depressed looking at that sky. And I see blue skies and all I see is clouds. Right. And there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to convince them that there's not clouds in the sky. Right. And that's the part for me as a parent who's never experienced depression. 
to understand. You can't convince no. them they're not depressed. No. I've experienced major depression, and it feels like it seeps into every cell in your body. And it tells you that life will never be good. So why get out of bed? Um, why do anything? You can't muster joy. You can't muster up your view of the sky. It's almost like an out-of-body experience. And I think for those who have never experienced it, you know, you kind of look at something and go, why would you depress? be depressed? Look at, look at how great your life is. Well, depression comes from the inside. It doesn't come from the outside. It doesn't depend on external circumstances. And it's powerful. It's so powerful. And yet anybody who is depressed, particularly a kid, because they're not going to just walk into the room and go, oh, dad, you know, I've been so depressed. Will you help me? It doesn't work that way. They depend on adults around them to start poking at them. Are you okay? Are you okay? Why do you think depression is on the rise in the U.S.? Um, so I think it's really obvious. To me, after I've spent some time thinking, and I'm not a doctor. She's a doctor. I'm not a doctor. But the world is so different than when I grew up. Um, I did a TEDx talk called um, The Hot Lava Talk. You can see it on ChooseLife.org, which is my website. Mm -hmm. When I grew up, there was two TV channels. The news was something that was on at 6 o'clock that my dad watched, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, the newspaper wasn't something I was going to ever read. No. I was 13. I was going out playing and doing stuff, and there was no – the phone – well, if someone called, dad would answer the phone, and maybe he'd say I could talk to them or not. My bully stayed in school, and my house was safe. Mm -hmm. Now you fast forward to life, these kids live. Like that was me, 14 years old, right? Kids today are worried about COVID, global warming, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. You name the list of things these kids are worried about because the world is going to end for them if they watch the news sometime in the next 50 years, why bother living? It's going to end anyway, or it's going to be so expensive because of how your parents screwed it all up. You're going to spend all your, your work hard and all your money is going to go to fix it mm -hmm. because that's the message that they're getting every single day as 12 year old kids, 13 year old kids, 14 year old kids. Then you add in the fact that Instagram and Facebook and they all have their phones. Well, look guys, I think you all know this. Instagram and Facebook aren't good for us. Right? right. When we look at everybody else's life being so amazing and we're looking at ours going, my life isn't that great. Mm -hmm. Even now, if you follow me on Facebook, yeah, it looks like I have a great life. Trust me. I do have a fun life on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Right. But the reality of life, your, your kids can't look at that. And they see everyone else's in the perfect pictures, the perfect this, the perfect that. And they go, my life isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. And then they're bullies could be anybody with a keyboard. So where my bully used to be the big kid, now it could be, it could be anybody. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the pressure to go what school I was going to go into. We didn't care back then. <laughs> we went to got, we got some grades, went to college, <laughs> right? Right, yeah, yeah. I, I laugh my business partners have got all went to UC Santa Barbara and, and got in with a 3-2 or a 3-3 and didn't seem to care. And now you can't get into that school without a 4-5, mm -hmm. right? Right. I mean, it's a, and then the pressure, we used to play pickup sports and now they're all trying to get scholarships and stuff. It's like the pressure on these kids is so immense. And by the way, I'm not saying it's parents doing it. 
they do it to themselves too. Mm -hmm. But that little 14-year-old brain that I had that wasn't capable of dealing with anything is the same 14-year-old brain they have. Right. Their prefrontal cortex is not developed enough to deal with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to, and you would know this better than I do, mm -hmm. they don't know how to process all this information that's coming at them. So it's totally different. Yeah, they don't. And I don't think that we adults understand this because, you know, we look at through an adult brain, but as I talk to kids and I say, you know, what are your biggest worries? What are your biggest fears? And girls always say, easy, easy. I got to be thinner and I got to be having sex with some guys. That's it. Top two things. But you look at all the decisions that kids feel they need to make and, and where this comes from, who knows? But by the time they're 14, they have had made some major decisions in life. You know, are you going to be a serious athlete and go on to pr play, you know, D1 sports because you better get started or if you want to go Olympics? Um, are you, you know, you, you need to be able to label your gender and you need to be able to say it out loud. You need to be have to label your sexuality or your sexual orientation out loud. So you have to have figured all these things out and it's too much for kids and kids feel if they can't. And I, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg decisions they have to make. They feel something's terribly wrong with them. And I just, I just sort of see, see them being squeezed from the outside in. And like you said, home used to be a place where you had reprieve and calm, but this pressure never let's go. I mean, it's like you and, and I, I mean, I work endlessly at home until I say, okay, stop it because I always can. And so the life that kids have in school and outside of school always goes on. It, there, there's nothing the same. So other than that, talk to me a little bit about from a medical standpoint, you know, depression, of course, is emotional, psychological, but there is a um, physiologic component to it. Um, it's very, very, very powerful. Could you see fluctuations in Ryan's moods or, or was he always sort of outwardly happy and inwardly hiding? His moods changed. He wasn't sleeping well, made him grumpy. I mean, there's all those things happen, right? If kids don't get the right amount of sleep, mm -hmm. it's terrible for their mental health. There's, there's studies that show that kids with, there's a correlation between, you know, the, the less sleep to get, the more anxiety and depression they have. Mm -hmm. They need sleep. And when they're staying up all night playing video games or doing whatever they're doing, it, and then having to get up at five, six o'clock in the morning to go to school, it's just not healthy for them. If they don't eat the right foods and they eat only junk food, their gut health, there's lots of connection with gut health and mental health mm -hmm. that I'm learning now. I mean, it's so complicated. It's so complicated. But I think what we should do maybe is move this towards, okay, everybody realizes the issue exists. Well, the question I always get, how do I talk to my kids? Mm -hmm. So you, could you need to talk to your kids whether or not you're identifying mental illness. You're saying every parent needs to talk to their kids, whether they suspect something or not. So how, tell us how to do that. I'm going to tell you how not to do it first. Okay. All right. Well, actually, I'm going to tell you how I think. I want you to think about it in this context. When I go back to that cloud analogy, right? I see blue skies. Someone sees clouds. 
How do you talk to that person? Well, if you go and tell them there's no clouds, dummy, look at that. It's a beautiful day. They're going to shut down and not talk to you. What you need to do is ask them what their clouds look like. Mm. Tell me about your clouds. Why are they there? How many are there? What do they mean to you? What do they look like? Do they, are they always there or are they only there today? You need to ask those kind of questions about their feelings, not about real clouds, because mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about, right? So, but those are the kind of questions you have to ask, and then you can't judge them for it. If you start telling your kids, which I would probably be prone to do, and any guy like me is prone to do, right? Look at your life is great. You have no idea what it's like <laughs> for me growing up. If you think it's bad here, try growing up with your grandfather. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that, <laughs> like, that's our, that's the, yeah, that's the real zinger. Yeah. You can't do that. They will never talk to you about their feelings again. As much as this pains you, bite your tongue and listen. And no matter what comes out of their mouth, just ask them more questions. You need to be your kid's therapist. I was talking to a dad the other day who had, um, who's building out a new site for this and, and it'll come out pretty public pretty soon. But he said, look, when my kid had depression issues, I called 45 therapists that dealt with teenagers in the Bay area of California. 38 said, I am not taking any new patients. Hmm. There's a shortage of therapists. You have to be able to talk to your kids like a therapist. And that scares parents. I'm not a therapist. I'm going to tell you how to be a therapist, right? I'm not a doctor, but I'm still going to tell you how to be a therapist. Ask questions and listen. That's all your therapist does. So easy. It's so simple, but it's intimidating. It is. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Jason Reed. I know it's a tough one. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with more of this important conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest is Jason Reed. So what kind of questions should parents ask their kids if they're newbie parent therapists? Where do they start? Give us some conversation starters, if you would. Before we go there, let's talk about where you should do and where you shouldn't do it, right? Because we got we to frame the whole thing. Here's what you don't do. You don't barge into the room and say, we need to talk. I get the fact that you pay for the house. I get the fact you pay the rent, the mortgage. I get the fact that everything in that room you bought and you paid for. And you have the right, right? Okay. You got to keep in mind, that is their only space in their life where they are free and comfortable. And that's their only sanctuary. That little room is all they have. So when you barge in that room and you say, you need to talk to me, and they yell at you and you say, well, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? And they say, I'm fine. Get out. Every one of us, for the most part, probably had that experience. Mm-hmm. You have to find the right time to talk to your kids when they're not, their guard is down. And I don't know your kids, but you know your kids, right? You know that they're more talkative at certain points in times, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's on the drive to school. They just kind of want to talk to you. Maybe it's on the drive back. They want to talk to you. Maybe it's while you're cooking dinner. It might be while you're on the phone. They want to talk to you. Parenting, parenting is inconvenient, But when you see that moment where your child is open to talking, you need to dive right in and ask question after question after question. Tell me about life. Tell me what's going on. Tell me about that story. What happened today? How did that make you feel? Why did you feel that way? You you have to get them to the point where they want to tell you everything because they feel safe telling you everything. 
I don't think I did a good job of that. Obviously. How come? How did how did you make your son not feel safe? We spent time together. We talked. We would watch a show together every night. We sit down in the theater. We chat for a while. But I never dove deep enough into how he was feeling because he's, oh, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. When your kid says he's fine or she says she's fine, they're not fine. If they say, I'm good, I'm great, I'm fantastic, maybe they are. I'm sad on this and that. Fine says, I'm feeling like crap and I don't want to tell you. Kids say that to me when I walk in the office and I say, how are you? And they say, good or fine. I said, well, if you're good or fine, you wouldn't be here. So let's get past that. So I just sort of roll right over those words. Yeah, but so Beth, I'll you, answer your question. But what did I do wrong? And why did I, I didn't show up to Ryan in a vulnerable way. Like here I am a guy. My background is I own companies. I coach CEOs. I'm a black belt on an Iron Man. I've written eight books. I, I fix problems with the world's great, right? I show up that way. And I showed up that way at home. I, the reality of it, I've failed at 13 companies. I've almost bankrupt three times. My wife and kids never knew any of that because I kept it from them. It's in my mind, you don't need to know that. Yeah. You just need to know everything's good. But kids never saw me cry. Never had a bad day in their eyes. So how did Ryan see me? He looked at me and basically said, dad's life is perfect. My life is not. It must be yeah. me. And he tried to show up with a big smile on his face every time he saw me. Had I taken the time to go deeper with Ryan, said, Ryan, I need to you understand. Life sucks. And let me tell you all the times my life sucked. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any of those experiences, Ryan? Because I had. I had a lot of them. I was bullied. I was almost broke. I was this. I was that. Girls dumped me. Right? I was a sickly kid in school. I didn't do that. And I would encourage, especially dads, guys. I I was you. Right? And sometimes it's hard to have a break. Yeah. <laughs> but look, it's it, you have to have those conversations with your kids where you open up and say, you know, I want to tell you a story. When I was your age, this happened. And here's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Invite them to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you, once the communication starts yeah. and they don't feel judged, am I making sense? You're the doctor. Am yes. I doing this right? <laughs> you're doing it perfectly. I think you're absolutely right because if you share with your kids your failures and so, you know, go, this is how I really failed and I wasn't afraid I wouldn't get out of it. Your kid is okay to say, dad, you know, I feel like I'm failing too. We're in the same pot together. How'd you get out? But if your kid, you know, perceives you as being this, you know, all pulled together dad and perfect and everything, and they know there's no way they're going to have your life because you're happy and successful and he feels miserable, you know, you're never going to close that gap. So why aren't we taking the time? I mean, because you're dead on. You're dead on. We need to see kids. We need to ask questions. We need to get off the defense, not put them on the defense. But I get concerned because parents walk right by their kids all the time, you know, not paying any attention to kids. And I think that's painful for kids because it makes them feel very lonely. I'm not saying you did this. I'm saying... We are so busy and preoccupied with our own stuff and our own screens. I wonder how much we really see our kids. 
but I probably did do it, right? I employ two and a half thousand people. It's a busy life. There's problems every day. People don't call me with good news. They call me if I got a problem, what do I do? So there's probably plenty of times where Ryan would walk into my office like, dude, I can't talk right now. I'll come down in 15 minutes. And by the time I came down in 15 minutes, I don't get, don't worry about it. Right? I can't point to one in my, but I'm sure it happened. I'd be silly to say it didn't. But yeah, we're parenting is inconvenient. Mm-hmm. And we it's become more inconvenient than it was for our parents because our parents didn't have cell phones to stare at. They weren't worried about their own Facebook or Instagram, right? They weren't watching 24-hour day news. So they just had us. And they made their own mistakes with us. But there were different mistakes. Now we are not as we are not as connected as families as we used to be. I mean, if you're having dinners where cell phones and iPads and TVs are on with your family, then do yourself a favor, throw them all away. Mm -hmm. You should be having family dinners. And we did this. We were really good at it. Family dinner was family dinner, right? It lasts an hour or so, maybe an hour and a half. They always last long. There's music in the background, but no one had a phone. There's no phones at the table. You're not allowed to have a phone table, right? And we're going to talk. So I, I, I did some stuff right, but not well, everything. I mean, you're just like all the rest of us. I mean, you know, we live in fear of what we're doing wrong with our kids, and we're living in fear of our kids getting hurt or harmed. We're so, you know, risk averse. We don't want our kids to, you know, have any risk or anything. Um, after the suicide and after Ryan died, did you notice that everybody in your family dealt with it differently? Everybody does. And I was very public. I did two TEDx talks, a goal cast, speaking, and did the movie Tell My Story all in the first two years. Two and a half years. The movie finally was supposed to come out right as COVID hit last year. It just came out in March. Um, you can go see that at tellmystoryfilm.com. That upset my family. My wife uh, is not a fan of what I did because she wants to be private about what happened and Mm -hmm. she grieves differently. Did she think that maybe you were exploiting his death or maybe you were, I mean, but that's probably just the way you had to handle your grief. Don't you think? Yeah, it was, it was never an exploitation. I mean, she understands that all I'm trying to do is make sure the parents don't go through the same thing, but I expose the privacy part of our family. Mm-hmm. So you rightly recommend that we've got to watch our kids. We need to move into their lives and learn how to talk to them, learn how to get into those deep places in a, a gentler way where kids don't feel so defensive and to kind of draw them out and get them talking. And I, I totally agree with you. Everybody says teens don't talk. Yes, they do. We're just not, we're not asking the right questions. We're not listening. Um, and so, you know, parents can learn to shift how they approach their kids. Um, and so you're doing this. What else can a parent do to safeguard their kids or, or to help them through their depression, to lessen their depression? Can they do it um, other than just talking them through it? So as crazy as this may sound, that is the number one thing you need to do. Mm-hmm. That's all. 
I mean, yes. Do you need to make sure they're eating right? Yes. Do you need to make sure they're sleeping well? Yes. Do you need to make sure they get outside in the nature? Yes. Leave that room occasionally, find something fun to do, make sure they have a hobby, make sure they have friends, all those things. Yes. But the number one thing you can do to help your kids is know that they can talk to you. You can be your kid's therapist. You can own your kid's mental health and you can drop this whole idea that, you know, it's a stigma that my kid's depressed or on some kind of medication or this or that. It's like, you know what? Most of your friend's kids are depressed. Mm-hmm. They're just not dealing with it. So if we can just stop the silliness that we're all okay, because I know you guys aren't okay either. This isn't just about kids. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at the, we are in a mental health crisis in America right now over the last 18 months. That's not going away anytime soon. All right. The anxiety levels on both sides. I mean, we're all in a state of really, we're all struggling with our mental health. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens when your kid, when you go into your kid, you go, I'm going to go talk to him. They say, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You're like, Whew. I'm glad you're fine because I'm not, I'm going to work on me. I'm going to sit there and play on my video game because I'm tired, but you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You've got to take the time to figure out where those clouds are. You've got to take the time to talk to them. You got to take the time to get them to talk to you. The best, that's the only thing you need to do is be there for them and listen. And then I'm going to tell you this and you're not going to like it. If you're feeling like they might be in that situation, they can harm themselves. You have to ask them the questions. Mm-hmm. You have to look at them in the eye and say, look at, based on what you're telling me, have you heard of, have you thought about hurting yourself? Mm-hmm. Has that crossed your mind? You're not putting the idea in their head. It's already in their head. You're no, not you're not. Them. Exactly. You have, you have to ask the question and then you don't judge them. Whatever they say, they say. Mm-hmm. And if they say, yes, I've, I've thought about suicide. Well, before you freak out, people think about suicide. Okay. It doesn't mean they act on it. Right, the next exactly. question is, do you have a plan? Mm-hmm. And they said, not really. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk more. Right. Yeah. Not don't ever do that, but let's just talk more. If they have a plan, well, what was your plan? Well, on Wednesday of last week, I was going to do it, but I didn't. Okay, we, let's, we need to talk. I need to get you to talk to some other people. That's when we need to get them to a doctor or therapist to make sure that deeper work can be done. Because therapists do do more than just listen, right? Yeah. Obviously, they do. A good therapist does. Yeah. A good a therapist, therapist does, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the tools that I have found helpful that kids are pretty open to is I use this one to 10 scale and I say, okay, I want to know what's going on in your heart, but I can't see in there. So help me here. It, you know, one if I, it is the number that I would give to somebody who is ready to kill themselves. 10 would be you're the happiest person in the whole wide world. You, you're on a high. You never come down. What number would you give me about how you're feeling right now? Or then give me the range you felt over the, you know, the past few weeks. And I found kids are really honest. They're really honest. If they tell you they're a two or a three, you better pay attention. If they tell you sincerely, you know, there is seven or eight and listen to them as they watch. Um, because they really kind of can't buffalo you if, if they're going to tell you, oh, no, no, I'm an eight all the time, but you know they're not, um, then they can pull the wool over your eyes. What are the, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left here, but what are some of the 
big mistakes that we can make, that we often make, that we don't want to make anymore when it comes to blocking our kids from talking? Because I know you've, you're probably terrifying parents now saying you need to be your kid's therapist. I could just see everybody sweating um, because they say my kid won't even, you know, tell me what they want for dinner, whatever. But, you know, aside from asking questions and listening, and just being there, what are some other mistakes we need to avoid in order to draw our kids out? So I think it's a really, parenting is so complicated, as you know. Mm-hmm. Like, if I said be your friend, let them know you're their friend. I don't mean their drinking buddy or someone they're going to go smoke pot with. I mean someone that they can tell anything to. And sometimes when you say, be your kid's friend, they say, so I should go smoke pot with my friends. No, my kids do not. Right. Being that person that's always there to lecture them, let them know it's okay to fail. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't think kids these days have an understanding that it's okay to fail. Right. Because they didn't get the good grades and they feel bad. And then you feel, and then you make them feel worse. And then it's like, it's okay to fail. Failure is a big part of life. How you deal with failure is the most important part of life. Because you're going to fail a lot. Do you think Ryan felt like a failure before he died? Ryan, it's hard to understand what Ryan felt because he was that, he was unclear. But here's what was clear. He was in pain and he wanted the pain to end. And the only way he could figure out how to get the pain to end was to take his life. Mm -hmm. And because he wasn't seeing all he saw was clouds and nothing else and couldn't get his brain wrapped around what that meant. And it's the same thing, whether you're 10 years of age or a hundred years of age, when you get to that spot, you don't see things rationally. Yeah. All rational thinking is out the window with, you know, depressed people, you know, absolutely. There isn't a, a little bit of that there, because as I said, you know, depression truly messes with your head and, you know, it messes with your heart. Before we go, Jason, tell everybody about where they can find you. I want you to tell them about your movie, where they can find it, what the name of it is, and how they can get help if they feel like they need help right now. Um, so, ChooseLife.org is my my site, my foundation. We're about we're changing a bunch of things to focusing on exactly what we've been talking about today. Own your kids' mental health, because as I've gone through this, I realized that's the only thing that matters. The schools, doctors, teachers, government doesn't matter. We can change this as parents. We can make sure that we make a difference because we're parents who own their kids' mental health. The movie is Tell My Story. Film, uh, Tell My Story Film. Com, um, and it is available to be viewed now. It's if you have older kids, 12, 13, 14, 15, people are having a, a, a very tangible conversations if they watch that film with their kids and then have open conversations about it afterwards. It's not easy to watch. It's not supposed to be. Can we turn the tide? Can we reduce this epidemic of depression and anxiety among kids? I 100% believe that we can change it and make it go back to where it was when I was a kid. But it's only going to happen if we can have, well, if we can own our kids' mental health. If you can have the conversations, the non-judgmental conversations with your kids, 
the non I have to fix you conversations with your kids. Mm -hmm. Just let them know that they that they are loved and they can tell you anything. And by the way, I'm not telling you not to parent your kids. I'm not telling you to be that parent. Um, I am going to tell you one other thing. I told you not to, my idea is do not go in their rooms. It's their only sanctuary. I feel differently about phones. You own that phone. That is yours. And you have a right to take that phone. It's being lent to your children. And you have the right to look at it anytime you want to and see what's on it. And I feel really strongly about this after talking to so many kids about Facebook, Instagram, and all the terrible bullying that goes on and all the crap that people are doing on their phones. I think I can tell you that I do not believe that young kids should have phones. I gave Ryan a phone when he was 12 years of age. I didn't think anything about it because he was a good kid, never got in trouble. The reality is I gave him a phone with a browser on it. And he was able to go on the Internet on his phone at night and look up anything he wanted to. And people think that porn is the worst thing on the internet. It's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's not the worst thing on the internet. No. Yeah. Ryan used that phone to research how to kill himself. He wrote about it. So phones are dangerous, dangerous tools. And we need to really face that fact as parents. They're not a game. They change people's lives. They aid kids in killing themselves, and we need to get some backbone and say, uh-uh, we're not going to put up with this anymore. Jason, this has been a wonderful interview. I've learned so much. I'm so grateful for your willingness to, um, to talk to us so openly, to really tell us how to know our kids and see what's in their hearts. And I wholeheartedly agree with you that I really do believe we can turn this tide of depression and drive it down, but it's gonna take parents. Thank you. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed the sobering conversation I had with Jason Reed. Strongly recommend that you check out his TED Talks and also to watch his documentary called Tell My Story. Well, I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Jason Reed. Let's review my points to ponder. One, know the signs of depression. You know, depression looks very different in kids than it does in adults. The signs of depression in kids are spending more time in their room. Now, it's natural for kids to spend an hour, maybe two in the room during the day, but no more than that. Change in friends, change in grades, usually plummeting, increased anger or temper outbursts, change in sleep patterns, and change in appetite. Sometimes there are small changes in demeanor, attitude, and appetite. And don't dismiss these. It's really important, too, for parents just to watch their kids and use your gut. If you think that something is off in your teenager, get them help right away. Two, if you question your child may have depression, get help immediately. Begin by talking with his or her pediatrician or a counselor who's familiar with counseling kids. Tell them what you see and why you're concerned about your child. Ask how you can approach your child and ask how you can get them to help. What you don't want to do is go to your child and say, I'm concerned about you. We're going to a counselor. Usually that doesn't work with teens. Usually what you have to do first is get help for yourself on how to tackle this problem, how to approach your child, how to talk to your child. It's a very important thing to do if you're going to be successful in getting your child help. 
It's important for you to be guided on what to do. Three, don't be afraid to ask your child if he or she is depressed. You know, sometimes it helps if you simply approach your child and say something like this, you know, I'm concerned you may feel unusually stressed or worried. Could you be depressed, do you think? Many kids feel relieved if they know that someone is concerned, that someone sees them and cares about them and wants to know what's on their heart. Talking about their feelings can be very helpful to some kids. If your child is defensive, make sure to let them know that you're concerned, but you're on their side. You're not coming at them to find a problem and for you to fix the problem and tell them what to do. That's not what you want to communicate to your child. You want to let them know that you see them, you're concerned that you're seeing a mood shift, and your job is to understand and to help. Depressed kids feel hopeless and alone. So always be sure to let your child or teen know that no matter how low they feel, they can get better. Depression is treatable. So now let's recap my points to ponder. First, know the signs of depression. Two, if you question that your child may have depression, get help right away. And three, don't be afraid to ask your child if he or she might be depressed. I want to thank my guest, Jason Reed, for coming on my show today. This is a hard topic for him to talk about and for you to hear about, but his transparency is critical for us to understand what our kids are up against. To find out more about Jason and what he does, check out his TED Talks and watch the documentary, Tell My Story. You will learn a lot and find out things that you probably didn't know about teen depression. Remember, check out meekerparenting.com, sign up for my courses, look around. I've got some brand new courses ready to launch very soon. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born.